from the very first episode of Abbott Elementary, you can immediately pick out Barbara Howard as a veteran teacher who makes a massive impact on her school. Her classroom routines are on point. Her students feel safe and loved, and her colleagues view her with a range from hero worship to trusted collaborator. With all that seasoned veteran teachers like this give back to a school environment, we have to flip the script and consider. What do our Barbaras need and deserve in the final phase of their careers as educators? We're going there today. Stick around. Welcome back to the Grounded Learners Guild, the podcast that gets real about education, authentic leadership, and the transcendent power of being a part of a highly functioning team. Here are your very own guildmates and hosts, Casey Veach, Emily Coakland, and me, Jenny Labrie. Sometimes it takes years of teaching and learning to come to the conclusion that Abbott Elementary kindergarten teacher Barbara Howard voices in the very first episode. We have to be skilled in various areas. We are administrators, social workers, therapists, and sometimes even substitute parents. Having given years and even in some cases decades of their heart, time, and expertise to fill all of these roles that we just listed and more, we owe a lot to these experienced teachers. But a lot of what? Celebration and appreciation, sure. But we need to move beyond the applause, certificates, and boxes of hand lotion and consider In a field where so many can and do walk away, what keeps a veteran teacher passionate and fulfilled? Well, in this episode, it's our intention to discuss some of these ideas to help coaches and leaders really see their veteran teachers and to champion their excellence and continue to extend their growth. And like our previous episode, we'll model how to do that through personalized coaching conversations. And in this episode, by planning for a Barbara Howard conversation, where yes, she's a fictional character, but the needs that she has are real and mirror some of our more veteran teachers. So to kick things off, the two of you, I don't know if you all remember one of our episodes we had previously with GLG, one of our second Milk Margarita Malort episodes, but Lindsay Zilly talked about kind of some of her favorite teachers to work with are sometimes the most challenging. And I would argue that in some cases, some of the more challenging educators that we work with in professional learning are some of our more seasoned veteran staff. But before we really kick things off, how do you two define what a veteran teacher is? We were talking about this before we hit record and we were like, are we veteran teachers? Emily, does that mean you're a veteran or is it only because you're a few years out from retirement or could we be also? What do you think? That's why I was so quiet when you asked that question, Casey, because you guys had that had the finger pointing at me. So full disclosure, listeners, for those of you who probably don't know this, I'm in year 20 right now. And somebody very casually while we were discussing earlier throughout a, oh, you know, 20, 25 years. I'm like, yeah, yeah, me. That's me. Am I a veteran? I don't feel like a veteran. I think that's just it, though. I think veteran teachers are anybody who have multiple years of experience who are well well past the new stage of everything and it's not that veteran teachers can't have new experiences within what they do but I think that they're aware of the way the system works 
I think of veterans as the teachers who have seen things, <laughs> you know, like not to undermine like war veterans or anything like that, but we've seen things. We've gone through the pendulum of education at least once or twice. We've had those run-ins with challenging parents and we've learned from them. So I, I visualize, you know, my son's martial arts belts as they climb the ladder. We've got those notches as more seasoned veteran teachers. And so, yeah, it could be at the 10-year mark. It could be at the 25 to 30-plus year mark. But I think it's all about the experiences that we've had that shaped and changed how we work with students and colleagues that really, to me, exemplifies a veteran. Yeah, and I also think of the inner dialogue that I sometimes have to have in relation to, and I don't think I am often, but I think it's just easier for me to feel jaded at times. And I have to really have that inner dialogue, like Jenny, you're being jaded in this moment, because you have those experiences that you're pulling from. And the the larger mm-hmm. the coffer is of those experiences, sometimes it can lead you, lead you in that direction. And so from at, yeah. from a veteran teacher lens, you also have to kind of weigh that as well. Are you being jaded in this moment? Or is this really something to be convicted about or frustrated by? And I don't know if this is like a hot take or an unpopular (laughs) opinion. But I also think like, yes, having had a lot of experiences and followed the pendulum a couple times. But I would also say like, having a little bit of diversity of experience. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I think that if you've, you know, only taught at one school, and taught one grade and only had like one type of experience I think yes you technically are a veteran teacher but maybe you're just considered more like an experienced teacher or a seasoned Mm -hmm. teacher and we might use some of those terms interchangeably but I'm thinking of what you said Casey like they've seen things but like I feel like Mm -hmm. they've seen diverse things they've seen different types of things I think shaking it up and having tried some different roles or different systems or different preps even throughout their career they haven't just seen stability they've seen change yeah and instability for sure and I think like I mentioned at the opening of our episode that's what makes them some of the more challenging clients that we work with as coaches because they have that background because They've seen things and have baggage with them that we have to kind of sift through when we're working with someone. But what are your favorite things about working and coaching with veteran teachers? I like when they tell it like it is, honestly. (laughs) I think sometimes they are are just not mincing words anymore. Yep. This is what I want. Or I'm not doing that. Okay. Okay. (laughs) That's your line in the sand. No problem. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll go a different route. My favorite little coaching nugget whenever I find myself in that kind of situation, like I'm not doing that, is always tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't know how to handle that like knee-jerk resistance right off the bat. So that's been my little coaching to like, oh, can you tell me more about that? <laughs> and they're often put off because veteran teachers, I find they need to be able to express the why and what's kind of getting in the way. So I like that little tidbit. That works. I like working with the the veterans that are, I mean, all of them for uh, the reasons you've mentioned. But I also think there is this element to those that are really committed to the craft and seeing that over time. Mm -hmm. And when you get to work with and coach and support these veteran teachers that are super involved and super committed, you get to do some really cool coaching cycles and a lot of cool learning that's there because they've got their craft 
dialed in. They know what they're doing. They know what they want. They're they're able, as you mentioned, Emily, to really be direct and tell you what they need. But then there's a lot of creativity and outside of the box thinking that can come, not always, hence my jaded comment. But I also think that there is, I'm just thinking of the veterans that I've worked with that really push the envelope. That makes it fun. So that's my favorite part is when you get those veterans out there that regardless of how many more years they have left are really still in it to win it. And I really love that you mentioned that, Jenny, because I think there is like you almost like expect the rut and you expect the jadedness. Mm -hmm. There's something even extra inspiring about a teacher who who maybe doesn't have to push themselves, Mm -hmm. but they just want to. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite things about working with a veteran is they often provide this level of insight. And I would even go so far as to call it wisdom. Like I was in a coaching conversation earlier this week, and we were implementing small group instruction in a math classroom, tier one, all of this. And the teacher said, so what we're really doing is RTI in my classroom. And so that means that my kids who are getting RTI supports are also getting it now from me. And I feel like they're not able to access grade level curriculum anymore because everything's out of context now. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're exactly right. That moment of wisdom and insight that never even crossed my mind. But because our veteran teachers have knowledge of our systems more so than our new teachers or are just up and coming, it really is helpful especially if you're new to an organization, to say, oh, yeah, you're totally right. And that gives that veteran teacher that sense of autonomy and purpose and competence back in a coaching conversation. Almost on a selfish level, but I think that it is a wonderful demonstration of the reciprocity that we as coaches really are trying to go for. Because again, like we've said it before, talking about like different content areas, we are never going to know more about content areas we don't ourselves teach, nor are we going to know more about teaching than somebody who has taught for more than a decade than us is going to know about teaching. But we do know about adult learning and we do know about coaching and we do know about helping them extract the thoughts and the ideas and the methodology that they might just be having trouble finding the right words or the right steps to take to bring it forth and really shine a light on it. So, I mean, we can just learn so much from them and that reciprocity that a coach and an experienced teacher can have in its ideal state is just beautiful. Beautiful and super effective and impactful for student learning, wouldn't you say? Yes. For sure. For sure. So this episode is grounded and rooted in Abbott Elementary. So Emily, as our Abbott mini experts for (laughs) this series, let's take some time now to connect our simulation character here, Barbara Howard. How does she fit into the definition we've been talking about for a veteran? So first of all, Barbara has been through it. She has Mm -hmm. seen things. She's been at Abbott for a long time. And, you know, she has really served as a touchstone for the students in that school, not just as a teacher providing content and learning, but providing them almost like that home-like structure that we Mm -hmm. mentioned in the intro, kind of filling all those different roles that those students need at whatever capacity they need them. And I think another thing to mention is that where she fits in with the overall ecosystem of Abbott, every person in Abbott 
looks to her for something and mm-hmm. everyone respects her because she's bringing a lot of years of experience and also a lot of knowledge and poise in terms of how she delivers right. that knowledge to her peers. She doesn't really talk down, I feel like, but I do feel like that there is a, a point where you see every other named character on the show either working with her in a little bit more of the collaborative or peer driven sense, like her and Melissa, you even see like her and Ava, like allocating funds together over the summer right. in that <laughs> season two intro. Right. So like even Ava will work with her. That's huge. Mm-hmm. And you do see the younger or newer teachers like Jacob talks to her levels with her confides in her. You see Gregory do it too. And clearly Janine, last but not least, just <laughs> worships her. Like she literally makes no bones about the fact that she wants to be Barbara someday, <laughs> you know, as soon as possible. They just look up to her so much. She is an institution at Abbott and she knows a lot, shares a lot and brings a lot. I'm giggling because if you guys remember in our last episode, I was like, I haven't seen it yet, but I could, you know, I'll just hang in there. And I did watch a couple of episodes as promised yes. to get myself caught up for this oh, this yay. one. And so I, I'm giggling because I think that that was what st- stood out to me. I'm not as deep into the series as you guys are, but Janine worships her, which is there's a bunch of comedic effect there. But but yeah, it's just there's so, there's something about her. And Emily, the other thing that you said that stood out to me too is that steady, like she's not up and down in her emotions and she's unwavering, right? And so that's something that we can all even relate to as we work with our veterans, their unwavering ability to to bring everybody along with them, whether it's students and the colleagues around them. Emily, as you're describing her, I'm making a connection to Liz Wiseman, I think. I always say what? Yep. I always say yep. her name wrong, but I'm 99% <laughs> sure that's, that's right. True. That Barbara is one of those multipliers. Mm-hmm. She takes the expertise that she's had. She's been around long enough. She's seen things and is able to sprinkle that and bring out the best in everyone. But I would also argue there are some moments where she's got a little bit of jadedness on her shoulder. I'm thinking of the garden episode where she and Jacob go on this journey to try to start a garden and reignite (laughs) their passion to be able to supply the cafeteria with fresh fruit and vegetables. (laughs) And she's like, no, this is pointless. She does have a little bit of that jaded possibility because she's got that experience behind her. But ultimately, she is that multiplier within the system. Everyone's better because she's there. I think she does balance a healthy dose of realism about what to expect at Abbott. You know, I mean, we've talked about some of the stuff in the Gregory episode, too. We're not going to really hit this all the way into the ground. But for instance, I mentioned she collaborates with Ava. I'm guessing she went into that with pretty measured expectations, you know? I don't don't think she was having... She probably had a healthy dose of jadedness in there. Part of that is realism. I think part of that is just a reaction to experiences where maybe she has been burned before. But I think that she, just as a person, has so much pride in her craft and love for her kids that she remains that multiplier even when she has a few moments of jadedness. And really, who among us does not? (laughs) Especially if we've taught. I'm also thinking about, I believe it's Melissa. You guys can correct me, but she's the other teacher that has been there for a long time, right? And when Melissa was talking to Janine about 
why she and Barbara are able to do what they're able to do without getting burned out or overwhelmed. I think they have a really good sense of that realism to be able to balance that part of the job. There's a lot of compassion fatigue that goes into the work of educators and teachers alike. And it seems as though, at least in Melissa's case, the way she was describing, it's not that they don't care or it's not that they don't want to accomplish certain things that Janine is super eager about. It's that they're balancing it because they're like, if we're not here, who's there for those kids? They're really needing to also balance taking care of themselves. And Jenny, I feel like this is a perfect segue to what are some openings or what are some of the needs that our more seasoned and veteran educators have that can really be at the root of a coaching conversation. And I truly think this compassion fatigue and burnout component is kind of a key place for us to unpack and start. I I find that when a new teacher or a new three years in educator comes and works with students, they have this energy, this empathetic nature, this desire to connect with kids and make an impact. And not all veteran teachers approach things this way. But a phrase that I will hear sometimes from my my more veteran staff are, well, those kids can't do this, or these kids are so low, or those phrases that are limiting in what a student's potential is. And I don't find that as often in a newer teacher. And I think the compassion fatigue and burnout is a big part of that. You've seen what and feel like in years past what kids are able to do. And our veteran staff can sometimes put blinders on to what kids can do if we get out of the way. So what are some other needs that you can see veteran teachers having? All right, I'm going to jump in here because this refers to one of my favorite episodes of Abbott. Mm -hmm. All right. So when I fell in love with Abbott, it was the one where they had the new reading program and Barbara (laughs) did not know how to do the technology. And I think this will speak to all of our former roots as tech coaches before we became instructional coaches and took on different roles in our careers. We started out we started out coaching people in how to integrate technology effectively. And I think that it's hard for a lot of people just generationally who didn't grow up Mm -hmm. with technology themselves. So clearly, Barbara is struggling. And she's just like, "Uh, I don't I don't know, I'm just going to enter this in and accidentally makes it so it looks like her kids are reading at like an absurdly high reading level just because she just tried to make it look like she was using the tool when she wasn't because she felt uncomfortable with it I think Mm -hmm. that it can be a little bit tech can be a little bit of a double-edged sword with coaching because sometimes it's you're in you can say like look yeah it's just technology this doesn't mean you're not a great teacher of course you're a great teacher this is just a tool but if the school is using the tool let's get in let's help you figure out how to use this I'll sit in your classroom I'll help model it I'll work with you on this until you feel more comfortable with it kind of the gradual release of the I do, we do, you do with the tool. Mm-hmm. And I think she, if she had had someone a little bit more willing or able to partner with her throughout the use of that tool, then she wouldn't have necessarily gotten into that wild situation that she did. Mm-hmm. And and it's so funny, too, because it's the first time in, you ever see Barbara in a wild situation <laughs> where something caught up with her. But the thing that caught up with her is the tech. And like I said, that just speaks to a generational concern. And I think that if we can even frame it like that with some of our veteran teachers, like we know that this wasn't here when you started teaching this. And especially if it's a new tool, just like, yo, this is new to everybody. Everybody's struggling. And then kind of phrase it in such a way where it's like, don't worry about it. And just normalize the fact that it might take them a little bit longer to feel that comfort and get that gradual release with it. 
but mm-hmm. you can find your way into classrooms and start having other conversations, even if the initial conversation is about tech. We've all done that. It's the upselling, right? Yes. <laughs> well, and I think, too, as time goes on, I think it was the Pew Research Institute, think tank, whatever it is, did a study. And that gap between our young novice teachers and those who are in kind of a more seasoned generation, that gap of technology usage is shrinking. Well, and elephant in the room, we know why, right? The pandemic forced so many teachers who were not initially comfortable with technology, people who were not comfortable with technology to adopt it as way of connecting across what that time and what that era brought to us. So again, not to go back to more milk margarita malort, <laughs> but the few things about the pandemic that when we were talking with Darshay and playing that game for the first time ever, we talked about need to stay were the parts that it forced everybody to adapt to using technology and becoming more comfortable with where it fits into our classrooms and our lives. Well, and there's something to to say, Casey, as you mentioned, like the gap of the technology usage is shrinking. But what I've found is often the skill set to adjust and readjust and continue to adjust and change again. And like that is a skill set that is very hard for those Mm-hmm. of us that have not had to do that as quickly. It's like you have to almost evolve into that. Our adaptability. Adaptability. Yeah. Adaptability piece. Yep. And so for our veterans, that sometimes is a challenge. But I don't know. I find that in our case, I mean, I'm thinking about Emily back back in the day when you were mentoring me through our instructional technology coaching. You're like, it's a carrot, Jenny. This is a carrot that we can yeah. help people with. And, and, and typically more times than not, our veterans are able to be like, yeah, I don't know how to do this. Help me out. Where it's hard for them to be like, yeah, I don't know this instructional method. They don't want to say that, but they can be like, yeah, I don't Mm -hmm. know how to do this. Can you help me out? And that gets you in for a deeper, more lasting coaching cycle. I find it hilarious that you say it's the carrot, the visual that popped into my head. It's the door jam. (laughs) (laughs) You know those door stoppers? Yes. It gets the door open so that I could peer my head in and then eventually build that relationship and rapport and have those deeper conversations. Yeah. Let's circle back to how do we work with those teachers who maybe are experiencing fatigue and burnout? Uh, I think there's a pretty big role that coaches can play in that. And that comes with that emotionally compelling reflection process. Yes. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about that for a little bit. There's so much to be said here. I can jump in first and foremost. I think of reflection. Okay, so when you think of an inst- when you think of a coaching cycle in general, and for those of us listeners that may not know all of the nuts and bolts to a coaching cycle, reflection is that piece that closes the loop. And I would say for veteran teachers, for novice teachers, for those that have been experienced, regardless, I believe, I don't know, I'd be curious to know what you guys think. I believe it's the hardest portion of the coaching cycle to really get through. I think it's the thing that makes us the itchiest or the one we don't think we have enough time for, but it's the thing that closes the loop. And it's actually what propels us into something else or into a new way of thinking, a new practice, whatever it might be. But that reflection piece, I think, in general terms, is a hard one, but a super important one. And I think that that's where, Casey, you're talking about that emotionally compelling piece. We can bring it back to that. If we are talking about in their goals, what is what are you passionate about? What are you moving towards? It's a lot more likely that we can actually hit reflection and we can actually propel ourselves into the next steps of whatever it is that we're working towards. 
Yeah. Cognitive coaching calls that even reflecting into planning. So a lot of times we think of like the initial kickoff phase of coaching cycles being a planning conversation where you start figuring out what the goal is and what you're planning for and how you're going to do it and how you're going to measure it. But like a lot of times when you actually hit the reflection, that's where you get repeat business from Mm -hmm, people mm -hmm. in coaching because you end up reflecting into the what's next or what they would have done differently. And a lot of times that's still going to involve that partnership because they're vulnerability window is already open. Mm -hmm. And Emily, I would even just add to that the reflection piece. Although for some of us, we are super reflective just by nature. But I think back to another episode, man, we're we're connecting a bunch here with Dana when she talked about Dayton Lottenberger and we're talking about sketch noting and she said she's a reflection junkie. Like she she called herself that I'm a reflection junkie. And it's like even for us reflection junkies, when you partner with somebody, it's just that much deeper. It's just that much more meaningful. I would much rather reflect with someone than alone. I think it it is more likely to move us out of the overthinking zone and really get us into productive work. Well, and speaking of productive work, I didn't realize that I did this until two of my other coaches mentioned it. I typically start any of those debrief conversations with a very simple question. In order for us to get the most out of our time together, what is something that you partner, you teacher that I'm coaching, you client need to get out of the next 42 minutes? And it forces that reflection (laughs) and usually results in either some sort of tangible item or continued co-planning or partnership conversation afterwards. So I'm not the first one to speak other than using that reflective question. And I think that positions my veteran in this emotionally compelling position, right? I'm going to get something that I need done out of this reflection time. And it builds that buy-in and autonomy at the same time. And one thing I want to do a little bit is zoom out as well. I think we trend towards talking about coaching because of our background and our experience and because it's our very, very favorite, can't of course. <laughs> but, you know, can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> but when you zoom out a little bit also, I think it can really help even outside of the coaching context. They might still do this with a coach, but maybe with a partner, maybe with someone that they trust in their PLC, but having structures for them to reflect even on their career. So Mm -hmm. not just what do you want to get out of the next 20 minutes or whatever, but you know, nobody has said to me, Emily, you've been teaching for 20 years. What's something that you want to get out of the last 10? Mm -hmm. That could be a really powerful question. Really powerful. I want to know what do these different veteran teachers think and feel when they are coming into that veteran phase and thinking about, wow, this is kind of the last third or last couple years even of my career, last year of my career. What is it that I really want and need to accomplish so I can feel like I did this the way I wanted to do it, that I did this with integrity and my teaching career was successful? You know, it, it almost is like you're running out of time a little bit. But like at the same time, I think that would be a fascinating question. So I think, Emily, what you're talking about really taps into the educator legacy, right? Yeah. When we have more seasoned professionals, eventually, I'm going to use a specific example. In my system, we have probably at least 30% of our teaching staff will retire Mm -hmm. at the same time because there was such exponential growth in my area. We are poised to lose out on so much organizational, educational knowledge when that staff eventually decides that their journey as full-time teachers is over. 
And so I think your question is important for all of us to start asking, what do we want our legacy as veteran educators to look like and sound like? I love that because, again, I don't think that question is being asked enough. No one's really thinking about their legacy. I think they everybody's kind of sort of surviving in the manner of speaking mm-hmm. and, and getting to the point. And all of a sudden, whoa, it's my last year as a teacher. And well, like you mentioned in the intro, there's the applause and the celebration and the mm-hmm. look how loved you are and all the sweet stuff from kids and families and even your, your school community. But I think that nobody really talks about your legacy is like, oh, wow, if I'm not here anymore, what parts of my instruction or what programs that I set up or curriculum that I helped usher in or ideas that I brought into the instructional sphere are still going to outlast my physical presence in this place. I'm fondly recalling one of my dear friends who to me models what a legacy looks like. Up until the day this woman retired and walked out of her classroom for the last time, she was always learning. She would come to me and say, Casey, I want to do some investigative project on invasive species with tech. What could that look like? And even though it made her incredibly uncomfortable, she was so excited and passionate about creating these interesting experiences for students. And I think that's what that legacy could be of continuous learning and reflection and how could I still continue to grow up until the last time I walk out those doors. I think another question too is who could they help continue to grow? So like for instance, when you talk about that partnership you had with that teacher, I, you know, I definitely think that the impact that they left on the students would be extraordinary, but I also think that the impact that they left on you as a coach Mm -hmm. and even having that brain flow and that creative synergy and the ability to really work with somebody in that capacity and see somebody at that phase of their career embrace that type of curiosity makes you a better coach. But like, How could we extend that to their professional learning communities or to talking about like our Gregory's in the mix? Like how can we Mm -hmm. pair somebody like him with somebody like Barbara and help that hits peak capacity? And I think sometimes it's just a matter of creating space for the teachers to have conversations about their practice with each other more frequently. And sometimes it will happen organically. But what type of professional learning experiences can we design that allow teachers to think and reflect on their practice together across generational divides? I love that too, Emily. That's just getting me thinking about what we've been trying to do along the lines of lesson studies, what we call them. Have you heard of of instructional rounds? And these are typically the Mm -hmm. teachers that you really want to have their doors open and have other people watching their modeling of really good instructional moves. And this is really cool, too, because, I mean, you guys you guys know that that was something where, Emily, you would have people coming in and out of my room. But what we really realized Mm -hmm. was without that reflective component, it kind of left, Mm -hmm. uh, left me feeling like, the reciprocity wasn't there. It might have been helpful, but it wasn't quite as much as it could be. And so when we think about really facilitating that, whether that you are a building leader or you are thinking of programming at a district level or even as a coach or a coaching team, what kind of instructional rounds or what kind of lesson studies could you put into play? Our teachers are not only mentoring the Gregory's 
from the sense of, hey, where do I find, where do I get a, to buy a can of pop or where, where can I go to get my, <laughs> what room do I go to to get my mail? But really, you can actually see them putting their practices on display for others to see. And then that just gives that ripple effect even that much more and shows the expertise or it, it does speak into that legacy element as well. Not just the your own personal legacy, but what legacy do you have from the system level that it's the gift that keeps on giving when people are watching you in your element, right? Yeah. Another thing I have seen in professional circles too, where if you just don't have the sub manpower to create instructional rounds, to do digital rounds, where people just will video like a very small mm -hmm. piece of their lesson. Mm -hmm. Like this is how I build community at the beginning of the lesson, or this is how I check for understanding at the end of the lesson and just kind of build out sort of a database of things that teachers can watch on their own time without having that other person in their classroom or you know, I would say more cogently in a place like Abbott trying to get a sub into a classroom, which mm -hmm. is very difficult to do. But yeah, absolutely agree with you that the more of the opening of those walls and getting people to see each other's practice can be huge and impactful. And Jenny, I'm going to pull a thread that I think got loose <laughs> as you were describing, you know, that open door policy, but feeling like there wasn't any reciprocity. Part of me wonders if connecting it back to Barbara, that technology episode, she is put on this platform and pedestal of like, she knows all the things. Mm -hmm. And because she finally doesn't know something and is insecure about her ability to acclimate to this new resource that's really tech heavy, it creates that sense of fear because she's lacked an opportunity to have that reflective conversation. So I think what you're describing where not only what did you notice about coming into my classroom, but what are some other opportunities that I can continue to grow and improve? That's a perfect space to have two-way mentorship and two-way collaboration amongst colleagues, no matter their educator experience divide, right? It's that perfect combination of the two. I'm also thinking about in terms of that peer mentorship and strategic partnership, I first came across this gardening metaphor in a Jennifer Gonzalez blog, but the marigold effect. So in gardening, this relates to the fact that we plant marigolds next to companion plants to kind of be the ones that the aphids go to or detracts from other pests or other things that we don't want around our tomatoes or peppers or things of that nature. But in education, we want to kind of view our more veteran staff as those marigolds that we can plant nearby some of our newer staff in case we don't have a system that can sustain instructional rounds. How can we provide proximity to those more veteran staff so that everybody can learn from and be nurtured by their expertise? Do we even need to mention who the pests and aphids are in education or does that go unsaid? <laughs> <laughs> I think that goes unsaid. Yeah. We can let that well alone. I just like the gardening metaphor for Barbara yeah. because I've got yes. my mental picture again of her in her little sun hut. But yeah, I absolutely agree that we creating those spaces for proximity. I almost I, I don't know how this applies in this fashion either. I think it definitely applies to other teachers, the marigold effect. But mm -hmm. a wonder I have that I think would benefit maybe our leaders to think about as well is how they can benefit from proximity and mm -hmm. conversations with their veteran teachers as well. So I don't see a lot of in Abbott 
they obviously don't have an instructional coach or they haven't shown one yet if they do. And I, I think that as far as a reflective partner in leadership for her, they don't really have one. There's Ava. But right. I think it's really important, at least that there are regular conversations, even like you just said, proximity-based with leaders and veteran teachers where they know each other. And again, that's why I think it was weirdly powerful to see Ava collaborating with Barbara mm-hmm. on the fund allocation. She forced that proximity, but that, that happened. And actually that brings me to another thought that I, I haven't found a time or a place to say, so I'm just going to jam it in there. Um, <laughs> you do you. Sorry. <laughs> this is how I do. I think it's really important to talk to talk to our veteran educators before they retire about what the mm-hmm. highlights of their career have been. And when they put in for retirement, whenever that comes to pass, to talk to them about why that is. Almost mm-hmm. like an exit interview. I First of all, I think exit interviews aren't used as much as they should be in education. But I actually took part in one with an administrator who is going, moving on to a different district, who almost like he was the one exit, exiting, but he interviewed me about our experiences together and what were some peaks and what were some things that he could work on as an administrator. And I just thought it was a really refreshingly honest conversation. And I wonder how we could utilize veteran educators in this way by having some really honest conversations with them about the tenure of their career and how things played out and what were some things that they really loved, what were some things they really struggled with, and what are some things that maybe either pushed them to the point where they needed to retire or just what changed in their life or the world or education that ushered that in in a more natural way. I think we could all learn so much of that even when that educator is not among us anymore. So if we were devising here a personalized learning plan, coaching plan for Mrs. Barbara Howard, what would we include in that? So I think that one of the key points that we brought up was this idea of reciprocity. I think we Mm -hmm. would have to be very open about how coaching is grounded in reciprocity and demonstrate respect for her experience while still mentioning what some of the skills coaches have that could Mm -hmm. help accentuate and extend some of her own existing skills and make her the educator that she wants to be. I think Jenny also made a good point earlier in mentioning some of that compassion fatigue and burnout, that idea of coaching being something that, yes, it does take time and, and trust to work through coaching, but another in is always... I can take something off your plate and help you explore something Mm -hmm. that you want on it. Instead, let's talk about what that could be and what that could look like for you. And like you and I, Emily, were discussing earlier, Jacob and the Gardening Passion Project Mm -hmm. ignites something and she expresses feelings of gratitude for him at the end. So finding those moments of emotionally compelling goals for Barbara are going to be key. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that that episode, as well as a few others that I've seen, at least in the season one and the beginning of season two, show that proximity that you mentioned. So, mm-hmm. yes, I think embracing her her coaching and trying to make some emotionally compelling goals for her would definitely be in order. But I also think I think Ava's done this by accident, but she she is in close approximation to Gregory, mm-hmm. to Janine, to Jacob. I mean, yes, they're the main characters of the cast, so duh. But like, clearly, <laughs> these characters have a 
a close professional trajectory where they are in the lunchroom at the same times. They are, mm-hmm. you often see Janine coming into Barbara's classroom to talk to her. Like, I think that that proximity has been created at Abbott. Again, I don't know how intentional Ava was about anything, much less that. <laughs> but I do think that it exists there. So continuing to foster that, don't fix what isn't broken. That proximity mm-hmm. exists for Barbara. Let it be and let it flourish. And like you mentioned, see what passions of hers you can tap into that will keep her excited and willing to have conversations mm-hmm. that grow these younger teachers. And funny moment, do you remember why the garden was successful in the first I place? I do, I do. Gregory was <laughs> sneaking in to do gardening because remember he had some background that he didn't want to talk about but had brought to the table with his family being involved in landscaping, right? Yes. So even in that moment, the newbie is inspiring and supporting and working with the veteran as well. So it's just a beautiful parallel here. It just goes to show when the passion is there and when the authenticity is there and the reciprocity is there, good things are going to happen. Yes, 100%. I also would say... um, there does probably need to be some work on instructional technology with the new reading program. <laughs> Although I think that that program went defunct by the end of the episode. So maybe not that yeah. specific one, but <laughs> if new tech tools come through the pipeline, I would be again, mentioning to her that this is, this could be that thing that we take off your plate and I work with you on to make this, make this easy or even model how we use it with your learners. Don't worry about this, Barbara, you you're a great teacher. You don't have to worry as much about this tech integration if you have a partner to go go along with you on this. Well, this was fun. You ready for some more fun with a little game? Let's go. So this episode, we have one of our favorite games, Never Have I Ever. So we're just going to go through some of these situations that either connect with Abbott or connect with Barbara's story specifically. So... Rules of this game are relatively simple, ladies. So as I read the sentence, if you have done this thing, go ahead and sip from your beverage that you have nearby. For those of us who are listening, it's a family show. So most of us have water, I think, in our cups (laughs) or giant cups. I'm just hoping for a redemption arc here because I feel like last time we played this, I did all the naughty things. <laughs> yep. I believe you are. It was the assessment correct. episode. Yes. That's accurate. <laughs> all right. So first question, never have I ever said I knew how to use a tech tool and then it backfired. Every, so let's <laughs> note that everybody except me just took a drink. <laughs> So mine was in an interview. I opted to use Slides Go as a tech tool, and I had never used it before in my instruction. And during the interview, my interview panel were acting like children and being complete like chaos gremlins (laughs) in the chat feature, and I had no clue. I think I still did okay in the interview, but it totally backfired. 
I've got nothing as specific as Casey to mention. I just felt like I'd be lying if I didn't take a drink there. I can't think of a specific tech tool, but just knowing with all the tech that we've used over the years, I am more often than not just only a half a step ahead of some of the people that I'm helping where I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm trying to provide them with a little bit of confidence so they're not as nervous about it. So I feel like that has had to have happened for me. I just can't think of one on the spot. And I'm just going to say who me because I <laughs> I typically will say when I don't know how to use something. They're like, actually, this tool's new to me, but I'd be happy to sit and look at it, look at it with you and learn together. I've said that more times than I could count. And so therefore, I haven't really had that that backfire effect yet. All right. Next one. Never have I ever said I didn't want to do something, but couldn't help myself by getting involved behind the scenes. <laughs> Casey, two for two. All right. <laughs> two drinks for Casey, and I took one, too. Casey, what's up? I'm going to pull a Jenny here and say, I can't think of a specific example, but as a type A control freak personality <laughs> in an educational setting, this for sure sounds like something I would do. Like, I guess the closest example, we recently hosted an event at my school and I said I wasn't going to get super involved, but then couldn't help myself and my system's brain went chaos. That sounds like it's so a it weekly thing for you. Feel big. <laughs> yeah, Something. it is. It's a problem. <laughs> Mine's pretty short, but sweet, too. A lot of times I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll be in the committees that are most crucial to my role as a coach. But then I end up coaching the new initiatives that pop out of committee work that I didn't intend to be a part of, but end up having a very deep involvement in whatever that committee work would have been anyways, just by by way of coaching that thing. What's up next? All right. Next, never have I ever pined for a professional mentor. Ooh, Casey did not drink on this one. The only one who didn't. You've never pined for a so. mentor? No, because here's the thing. I've kind of always had one. And if I didn't like the one I had, I've always had you two. <laughs> so because I, I, I kind of gravitated towards two women in my previous teaching when I was teaching. And then we moved to our joint beloved mentor that all three of us had. And then when I left, I've always had you two to ground me. No pun so intended. It's never been a need, right? <laughs> it's never been a need for me. I will echo a similar feeling of luck and surroundedness by women, particularly who, yourselves and a few others who really inspire me. And I was lucky enough to have an awesome professional mentor my very first year. But I took my drink because of my student teaching experience. We were talking about the yeah. gifts that we got from our mentors and stuff. And you both mentioned these like beautiful gifts of like resources and things that you were given. And I was like, post-it notes, yo. Like <laughs> I clearly had a different experience and I was pining for something. I may have not even been able to voice it at the time, but in reflection, I needed that. I didn't have one yet. I got one, but eventually. And that's all nice and dandy that we have each other. And while I agree, I have been in settings, not going to name them, where I really pined for a mentor, just really, really needed one or wanted one. And it just wasn't available at the time. I don't know. You know, we, we mentioned reflection junkie. I might be a mentor junkie. Like, <laughs> can you really have enough? Can you really have enough? You can always pine for more. Nope. 
Thanks. All right. And last one. So this is going to use an Abbott example. So in one of the Abbott episodes, the students start desking, which what that is, is as the teacher's back is turned, the students jump up and start running across the desks, leaving footprints everywhere. So never have I ever did something my students were doing, like desking or like something, to either connect with them or to get them to stop doing that thing. So that's how they stop desking is all the teachers <laughs> at Abbott start doing it and it makes it uncool. Cheers. Oh, Emily's alone Emily. on this one. I'm going to own it. In the past, when I was teaching eighth grade uh, and I had to teach grammar as part of what I did, I would always write the sentences myself and I would always include the student slang that I found most annoying. <laughs> I just nice. like, for instance, I hated YOLO. Man, nothing kills a phrase that's slangy more than putting it into a grammar sheet. Let's be real. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> How do you feel about bruh? <laughs> <laughs> I'd put it in a grammar worksheet. <laughs> so, so I should have drunk if we were talking about my own children. Like I say, bruh, back to my six-year-old. He's like, mom, and then just gets all mad at me. So in that case, I should have taken a drink, but not my students. That's um, a whole nother yep. game of never have I ever, fam. <laughs> all right, um, give us a taste of what's to come. You got it. So. What's coming next? We are sad to leave Abbott behind, but the topic that we're going to be addressing is a hot one. I'm hearing so much buzz from educators, and I'm sure you all are too, about AI and the implications that it has for educators and students alike. So that's the one we're going to be hitting in our next episode. Hope you can join us. See ya. And that's a wrap on today's episode. It's always so fun to be behind the mics talking to you, our GLG fam. Thanks for choosing to come around to engage with our guild's content as we passionately continue to advocate for adult learners with transparent conversations about the world of education, impactful leadership, and the power of high-functioning teams. The Grounded Learners Guild is a production of Grounded Learning, LLC. If you'd like to connect, the power of the PLN continues. As always, you can find us on our website, thegroundedlearnersguild.com. While you are there, check out our past episodes, our socials, and learn how you can bring the GLG flavor to your next professional learning event. And yep, you know, your feedback is everything. Feedback is that powerful tool that allows us to be responsive to the topics that matter to you most. If you haven't yet already or are finding us for the first time, leave us a review and hit that subscribe button. You can find us wherever you stream. Thanks as always for tuning in to be a part of the Grounded Learners Guild. That's it for us, Casey, Emily, and me, Jenny, in today's episode. See you all at the next Guild meeting. And don't forget, in the meantime, do your best to stay grounded. <laughs>